Isaiah 61, the year of the Lord's favor. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to, ha to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be plowmen and vine dressers. But you, you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory shall boast. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be brown among the nations, shall be known among the nations, and their descendants in the midst of the people. All who see them shall acknowledge them, that they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, And as a garden causes what is sown and it is brought up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. Amen. So that was not a mistake that Isaiah 61 was read. We're, during this series, we're doing a, a reading from the Old Testament, usually, and then I'll preach from a New Testament text. And so Matthew 11 is where I'll be preaching from, but Isaiah 61 needed to be read first because it'll weave its way through this sermon. It's a beautiful text, as Marcos just read. But before we get into Matthew 11 and into the theme of today's sermon, let me just introduce two illustrations to kind of get us started, two different images maybe to think about. Um, 
The first is a, an internet meme that I saw this week. It was a meme of two doors. There's a red door and a blue door. And the option it says is, if you walk through the red door, you can get $10 million in cash right now. But if you walk through the blue door, you have the ability to go back in time and correct every mistake you ever made. Two doors. Which one are you going to walk through? That's the first image to think about. Second image to think about. So I want you to think through if you are the type of person that has one recurring nightmare that comes back to you every so often. Do you have a nightmare that comes back into your, into your dreams that you wake up and, and you say, after about 10 seconds, when you first open your eyes in the morning, whew, it was just a dream. It's not actually true. It wasn't a real thing. And you wake up with this sense of profound relief Two images to think about to get you thinking this morning. And both of those images are supposed to lead us into some kind of thinking about in life in general, are you, are you looking for something really, really, really good or are you simply just hoping for the reverse or the opposite of something really bad? There's two different ways to live your life, really. One of it is the pursuit of something that you think could be beautiful and glorious and good and hopeful. The other is simply to avoid the disasters or the bad things that happen in all of our lives. And now the question for us is, what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? What is the good news of the Bible? Is it simply the reverse or the opposite of something bad so that one thing doesn't happen to you or is it the invitation to something good that you can hold on to and move forward with? In one sense, it really is just simply something not bad. You know, what the gospel teaches us throughout the scriptures is that through faith in Jesus, you no longer have to live under the curse that humanity is under, the curse of sin and death that has been part of human history since way back in Genesis 3. So your sin is dealt with, you are forgiven in Christ, death is defeated. So in that sense, the bad is gone. So that is in one sense what the gospel invites us to, is to the, the opposite of bad. So it's just, you don't have to live into the bad stuff anymore. But is that the fullness of what the gospel is? Is the gospel simply just the opposite of bad news? Christianity, I'm going to propose and try to teach you a little bit through one of the teachings of Jesus today, is way more than just the opposite of bad news or just saying no to things that have happened in the past or having those things taken care of. Christianity is more so saying yes to something that is in the future for you grasping on to the good and receiving it with gladness and having a new destiny and a new future going before you. It is good news. That's what gospel literally means. It's good news. 
And so this series that we introduced last week, remember last week was this idea that the gospel is a story. It's a story that you've been invited into from Genesis to Revelation that's ongoing. God's story of redemption that the Bible unfolds that now you are part of that has a definitive ending to it, that we know how the story ends. We know that there's gonna be new creation. We get to step into that in faith. But today it's, what is actually the gospel all about? What is the good news? The word gospel means good news. What does that actually mean? And so I actually just wanna take those two, those two words, good and news, and just unpack those a little bit for us alongside Isaiah and Jesus. And so first, I want to focus on the word news. Let's start with the second word. If the gospel is good news, that means that it's news. And if the gospel is news, that means it's not advice. It's not merely a good suggestion for how things could be or something to take as an opinion or a piece of advice. It's actually news. You, know, you think about, you know, a hundred years ago when people would stand on the, on the street corners and try to sell newspapers. And what would they say when they're trying to hand out newspapers? Read all about it. Take out here, you know, the, there's a new president. Read all about it. Here you go. Pick up the newspaper. Give me a nickel. You know, beautiful times, right? I don't remember. I wasn't here a hundred years ago. Watched movies about it. But the gospel similarly is not just a, hey, this is a good suggestion for ways to live your life. The gospel, as we saw last week in the scriptures, is a read all about it. Here's the story. This is the news. This is God's news for the world. It's a special, important announcement in history of what has happened in the past that has affected all of human history in a cataclysmic way forever. It is history-altering news. Now, I realize that in the last five or 10 years or so, the news has kind of lost some credibility. And so as I'm saying this today, I might have to overcome the idea that the news is always trustworthy and true because there's some skepticism around the news or what news station you watch or what newspaper you read. There's biases and all, I know all these things, but I just am keeping it simple here for you that when it says the gospel is good news, it means that it's a report of something that has happened. It's stating that something has happened in the past that you were invited to know about. Kind of like how Mike in the prayer time gave us the news about this city in Libya where there's a flood that has come through the city and people have lost their lives. That's, that's not opinion. That's news. It's something that's happened. It's being reported. So too is what, what God has done in the world through Jesus, to eradicate sin, to free us from death. It's news. It's news that we need to hear about. News that now is traveling around the world. Isaiah 61, you know, was 700 years before the time of Jesus. And it was Isaiah the prophet foretelling about one who would come to deliver the good news. He, in many different chapters throughout Isaiah, Isaiah 61 that was read is just one chapter in, in the whole book. But in many chapters throughout Isaiah's writing, he talks about the coming of a, of a savior or a Messiah or a Christ, one who would come to deliver Israel. Now, for many folks who were reading that at the time, they were anticipating a political leader, a government that would come and overtake the opposing governments in the area. And so, as you can imagine, they were anticipating some kind of ruler coming to deliver good news of 
Okay, you're, you're out from under the, the, the captivity that you've been under from bigger empires. Now you have a stronger one who's coming and who's going to take over. And so now you're going to be the one in authority. You know, so interestingly, before the time of Jesus, the word gospel was used in the ancient world. And it was used in a political kind of way. It was, a, it was an announcement of an emperor coming back to the city to announce the good news that the war has been won. So if you picture like a Roman emperor going throughout the whole you know, Roman world, places they would go and, and defeat other cities and capture other armies, when the emperor would come back into Rome, riding triumphantly in this huge parade, they would come before him with a trumpet and they would announce the gospel, the good news that Rome won. And therefore, we are delivering the good news of Rome's victory to the city. That, is, that was how the word gospel was used. And so when we think now about gospel, the gospel of Jesus, Jesus riding before us into our cities, into our lives, blowing the trumpet, here's the good news. God's kingdom has won. Sin and death and Satan are defeated and they are no longer in charge anymore. You are free. That's the announcement of the news of the gospel. You see how that's different from advice? It's not, hey, you, should, you really shouldn't dance as much. Or, hey, you really, shouldn't, you really shouldn't go hang out with these people quite as much. Or, hey, you should go to that building with the stained glass windows once a week to make sure you're checking your religion. It's, it's an announcement of life-changing freedom that you've been invited into. It's news. And yes, sure, maybe your dancing or your weekly worship or all those things are affected too, but that's much further down after the announcement of the news that you've been invited into. You know, there's a, there's a book called Simply Good News by a, a New Testament theologian named N.T. Wright who talks about the simplicity of the gospel being news and not advice. Let me just read a little bit for you from what he's written. He says, The good news that Jesus announced, like the good news that his first followers announced about him, was not a piece of advice, however good it was. It was about something that had happened, about something that would happen as a result, and about the new moment between those two, the moment in which people were in fact living, whether they realized it or not. He goes on to say, many people today assume that Christianity is one or more of these things, a religion, a moral system, a philosophy. In other words, they assume that Christianity is about advice, but it wasn't and it isn't. Christianity is simply good news. It's the news that something has happened as a result of which the world is a different place. He says, in many churches, the good news has subtly changed into good advice. Here's how to live, they say. Here's how to pray. Here's techniques for helping you become a better Christian, a better person, a better wife or husband. And in particular, here's how to make sure you're on the right track for what happens after death. Take this advice. Say this prayer and you'll be saved. You won't go to hell. You'll go to heaven. Here's how to do it. This is advice, not news. Now, he's not saying any of those things are wrong. He's just saying the focus of what the good news is, is that it's historical news of something that has happened, of which now your whole life has changed. 
The gospel is news of everything changing because of the historical event of the past, namely that Christ came and lived the life you couldn't live yourself. He died the death you deserve to die. He's inserted himself into your place as your substitute, as your sacrifice. And he rose on the third day. That's news. He resurrected. That is news. Sin and death no longer have any sting, no more dominion over us. The Holy Spirit is with us, living in those who believe. That's the news. That's the good news of what God has done for the world through Jesus. And now now that we understand that there's news, now we can begin to see how it's good. Some folks live their life, and maybe some of you here are like this. I know I've fallen into this in my life. Some folks live their life thinking that the best thing that can happen to them is simply something bad not happening. So sports are a great example. I'm feeling the sting of, of, of a defeat this morning, if you know me well. But I've heard some people say, some athletes have said this. They say the sting of defeat is greater than the thrill of victory. Have you heard people say that? It's like someone wins the Super Bowl and they celebrate for like a day and they're really excited. And then they move on to the next season because they don't want to lose next year. Or they'll say, when we lost in the playoffs, that hurt more than the joy of winning the Super Bowl. Why is that? Do you see how that becomes a backwards way to live life? And it's not just sports. I've heard people say this as well. They'll, because they've experienced pain or difficulty or trials in life, they get to the place in their life where they just say, you know, as long as my family is healthy, as long as I'm keeping my, keeping my health, then I'm good which is a really, it's a good way of guarding your expectations, right? Of like when bad things happen. Well, at least I have this, then my life is okay. But Christianity cannot just be being saved from something. Not, it can't just be a protection from the bad things that come. Christianity is offering good news, meaning that not just you're delivered from sin and death, but you're delivered into life into joy, into goodness, into a pathway into the future which can change everything. You know, again, going back to Isaiah, if you look at Isaiah 61 and remember a little bit about what what Marcos was saying, it's really just one statement after another about not just what you're being delivered from, but what is now new as a result. I mean, again, if you have Isaiah 61 open, I'll, I'll just read a little bit to you, but There's nine different examples in Isaiah 61 about a change of status. So he says he's bringing comfort to all who mourn. In verse three, he says, uh, they may be now called oaks of righteousness. Uh, In verse six, it says, you shall now be called priests of the Lord. In verse nine, it says, uh, your offspring will be known to all the nations. They'll be acknowledged by everyone. Verse 10, you've been clothed with garments of salvation. This is a new status. And then there's all these different, there's six different examples of of how the the word instead is used. So if you look at verse three of Isaiah 61, it says, I will give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. So he's not focusing on the ashes. He's focusing on, look what you get to wear now, right? And instead of, 
instead of mourning, you get the oil of gladness. And instead of a faint spirit, you get a garment of praise. You see, like, this is what you used to have, and this is what you have now. This is your new status. He talks six different times about new things that are being built up. So uh, in verse 3, you know, oaks of righteousness, a new planting of the Lord is built up. Verse 4, it says they'll build up the ancient ruins, you know, to repair the ruined cities and the devastations of previous places. They'll be built up again. Uh, going all the way down to verse 11, it says the earth will bring forth sprouts and the garden causes to be, to be built up, to be sprout up before all nations. Um, in verse 8, it talks about an eternal covenant that will last forever that he will make with them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Three times it talks about joy that you receive. Twice it talks about being people of praise. All this is the new status that God is giving to his people. And who is this being delivered to, by the way? Who does Isaiah, who does Isaiah say that the good news is for? Verse 1. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Those who were poor, they get the good news. And now let's go to Jesus in Matthew 11. This is what's printed in your uh, bulletin this morning. Matthew 11. Let me read it for you first. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and to preach in their cities. Now, when John, this is John the Baptist, when John the Baptist heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and he said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them. He answers these messengers who are going to go back and tell John what he says. Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus responds to the despairing John the Baptist. So again, John the Baptist is a cousin of Jesus. He is the one who came before Jesus to prepare the way for him. So he was fairly convinced that Jesus was the Messiah. And then he gets thrown into prison. John the Baptist gets taken away. He gets thrown into prison. Later, he gets killed in prison. That hasn't happened yet, obviously. But John the Baptist is despairing. He's in prison. And he begins to question if Jesus actually is the one because the things he's seeing happening to him doesn't seem to make sense to him. He's like, if if Jesus came to be the Messiah and I'm in prison and I don't see any military paraphernalia around or any tanks coming behind Jesus, like, is this really, is he really the one? Or Or have I just got this all confused? John the Baptist is in despair. He's uncertain about what's happening. Is Jesus really the Savior or is someone else still to come? And then note what Jesus chooses to focus on. Jesus says, go and tell John what you hear and what you see. Go tell John what you hear and what you see. Jesus is saying that The gospel is visible in front of you. It's not hidden. 
It's right before you. And what's happening in your here and now, right now, is not just rumors, but it's stuff that you can see and feel and hear and touch. Again, this is news. Jesus is saying this is happening in real time. This needs to be reported. Go tell John the news. Go read all about it, John. And Jesus focuses on the blind receiving their sight. The lame are walking. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. Do you see, it's all about the the group of people who didn't have something now have. The thing that was lacking the most in their life now has been filled up. And again, who does Jesus say the good news is preached to? Jesus came and said, the poor have the good news preached to them. In order to receive what Isaiah foretold and what Jesus has done, I hope you see that through Isaiah and through Jesus that you and I are being invited to identify as poor. Because it's the poor who have the good news preached to them. Matthew 5, 3, in in Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Meaning that in order to receive the good news, in order to understand it, in order to grasp it at all, you have to recognize your poverty in spirit. That we are needy, that we are sinful, that we are broken, and that we are hopeless apart from Christ. The good news is preached to the poor. And your riches in spirit only come from what he can give you alone. Just yesterday, um, we, we had the honor yesterday of our church building hosting uh, 15 folks who are experiencing homelessness And so in large part because of the forecast for what the tropical storm or hurricane was thought to do, it ended up not being as bad, um, thankfully. But because of that, there's an organization in the city of Salem uh, that cares for the homeless, particularly in times where it's extreme heat or extreme cold or extreme weather. And they look for places of shelter to to host people, to play games, to to give them food, uh, to give them a, a dry, warm or cool place. And so yesterday, our church had the honor of hosting that here for, from 8 to 5 yesterday. And I, I came by for just a little bit of time just to say hi and to welcome folks. And I had the chance to meet one person who's living in the Salem woods currently because he doesn't have a place to live. And they're trying to find a place for the winter. But this, this person uh, was just such a genuine, sweet person. And he looked me in the eyes Pretty soon after we met, he looked me square in the eyes and he said this to me. This is one of those things I wrote down because I said, I don't want to forget what he just said to me. He said, I don't see any brokenness in your eyes. He said, I'm sure you've gone through hard things in your life, but why don't you have any brokenness in your eyes? And so what did I say back? Because of the good news of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. What else would I say? 
And again, like, it's amazing what you can see in people uh, that you can't really even see in yourself. But that's what the good news does, is it changes, it changes you and people can see something in you that you didn't earn yourself, that you were poor and needy and you've been delivered and given this great news that you just say yes to and reach out your hands. It's not just the absence of brokenness because I have brokenness in my life too. But what is seen is more so the beauty of redemption, the beauty of restoration, the beauty of grace. It's not just the absence of bad, it's the presence of good news. And so I wanna give just a couple of tangible takeaways for us. So actually, actually, singular, one tangible takeaway for you. The gospel is good news, which means that there's one spiritual discipline that we need to be a whole lot more intentional to practice. So again, the traditional spiritual disciplines, prayer, fasting, scripture reading, solitude, silence, community, all those are great. But there's one spiritual discipline that if we are people of good news, we should be way more intentional about practicing this one. And you're gonna love it. It's the discipline of celebration the discipline of being intentional about celebrating what God has done in our life, of being joyful about what he's given to us in Jesus. Richard Foster, who kind of wrote the classic book on spiritual disciplines, you know what the name of his book is? The Celebration of Discipline. And on his, his, his final chapter, it's on the discipline of celebration. He says this, celebration is at the heart of the way of Christ. He entered the world on a high note of jubilation. And then he quotes Luke 2.10, which is the angel coming before Jesus saying, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. And then Jesus himself in John 5.11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you so that your joy may be full. Living our lives with an unabandoned, full, free joy is something that we are invited into. Not just you know, not living a bad life or being thankful that we're not sinners anymore, but being grateful and joyful for the freedom in Christ we have now and celebrating that as often as we can because our identity is not found in our brokenness anymore or our sin. Our identity is hidden with Christ and therefore we are his. We are surely protected and full of joy in him. And so at the end of Matthew 11, coming right just a few verses after uh, what Jesus says to go back and report to John the Baptist is Jesus's greatest invitation. Jesus says, if you want to receive the good news and have your whole status of life changed to be transformed from the inside out, Jesus says, come to me, all who are weak and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. You'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is offering that grace to everyone. And we pray that you would accept that as well, if you haven't already. I'll finish with a quote from C.S. Lewis, which I'm sure I've quoted before. C.S. Lewis comments about our our desires and our affections. And he says this, he says, it seems that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. 
We're half-hearted creatures. Meaning, let me just insert myself here. He's meaning that we've given up on the best things in life too quickly. We've given our hope towards lesser things. And we've forgotten that the good news is good. That it can give you a deeper desire uh, and have your desires met in a deeper way. He says, we're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and with sex and with ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. He says, we're like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased, he says. So the invitation is take hold of the goodness of the good news because that's what he's offering to us in Jesus. So we're gonna sing about the goodness of God to finish our service. And then as we do so, let me pray for us as a transition point and we'll stand and sing. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that in Jesus, our status has been changed forever. Uh, that the good news of Jesus is not just the opposite of bad news, but it's the, it's the uh, invitation for the goodest goodness that we could ever possibly imagine. Um, so Lord, help us to stop making mud pies in the slums. Uh, help us to instead see, see the holiday at the sea that you're inviting us into. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.